Jeff, it is Thanksgiving week. We had a very, very, very feisty argument yesterday on the Discord. And I was pie. right. No, I was you right. are 100% wrong. No, pie sucks. You suck. Pie sucks, guys. Like, think of desserts. Marie Callender's are going out of business all across the country. Village Inn only exists for one weekend. They will soon go out of business. Dude, I'd want to Village Inn all the time because when on Wednesdays, you get a free slice of pie. You live in, in Yuma. So it's either Mexican food or Village Inn. And there is, there is no look, village guys, in here. I'm saying when I lived in Utah, I ugh. would go to village in all the time because on Wednesday you get the free slice of pie. And in the winter, besides you can go get a cup of hot chocolate for a dollar and get a free slice of pie. How, how old wonderful. are you going to get a cup of hot chocolate and a slice or a of soda pie? or a soda with pause. unlimited refills? No, pie sucks. It just sucks. It is a, a dessert that has been relegated to really one day a year for the greater mass population. Anybody who claims that they're making pies throughout the year is lying. You're not. You maybe make a pie, you know, in the summertime when you harvest your cherries. You might make a cherry pie, but just one. Nobody's making pies all the time. Pie sucks. The crusts suck. Um, I think this was the point that really won my argument for me. When Moses and the Israelites were out in the desert for 40 years, what were they given? Garrett manna basically pie crust that's what Manna's they were not given. pie crust it is unleavened like... bread <laughs> it is pie crust minus a little bit of sugar oh yeah yeah Jeff it's okay it, I, you know it is fine because that means if we are ever at a Thanksgiving event together you can have the pie you can be doing your keto over in the corner, hating your life while I yeah. will be enjoying keto, keto is done this week. Well, I mean, it's not done, but it's taking the week off because it's Thanksgiving. I have facts about Thanksgiving and some of these are a little bit like they're going to make you, I don't know. I feel like this is our, this is our woke facts for, for the week. I mean, it's not woke. I mean, it's, it's, they're not, facts. it's just facts. Yeah. They're just facts, but it feels a little wokest. But we're not, you know, trying to cancel Thanksgiving or cancel whatever. But we're just, just stating things for what they are. I have five facts. And they're not necessarily related to Thanksgiving directly, but really just about, you know, the, the spirit of Thanksgiving. Of I guess this is the spirit of Thanksgiving. But the, the roots of Thanksgiving of white settlers coming with Native Americans. Fact number one, John Smith, Pocahontas. We've all seen the movies. We sing the songs about the the whatever it is around the, the riverbend. Yeah, like everybody knows that song. Pocahontas was ten. John Smith was twenty eight. Like I understand, you know, like when you go back and it's like people in the seventeen hundreds they married a fourteen year old, like that. That's young. It's kind of gross, but like I can mentally get my head around. Okay, three hundred years ago. Life was different. Life expectancy was different. Like gender roles were really prominent, right? And so like it, it, was, it was accepted at the time. So it's hard for me to be too grossed out at any one individual because yeah, you know, a 25-year-old dude hooking up with a 14-year-old girl, like that was kind of okay back then, just universally. Gross today, okay then. Certainly gross looking back, but at the time, 
it was what it was, right? But 10, 10 years old, that's a far cry from even 14. There's a lot of maturation that goes on yeah. in those four years. John Smith sucked. Also, Pocahontas was one of the worst Disney movies ever made, right? It is, is the worst. I fact? think I've seen it like twice. If Ugh, terrible. Uh, fact number two, this is much brighter note. So Thanksgiving, it started, and then it, was a national, it wasn't quite a national holiday, but it was like a tradition. And then it kind of went away for a few, I don't know, a couple dozen years maybe. I think it was like 25 years or so. And a woman, I, I don't know, I might be making that up, but it went away for a period of time. And a woman fought to reinstate Thanksgiving as a national holiday. That woman was also the same woman who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. She didn't have a turkey because she killed it and ate it for dinner. Uh, She did, which is a great segue into point number three. Deer and seafood, no turkey. That was not the first meal. There may have been some birds. I mean, they weren't like documenting it on Twitter, obviously. There may have been some birds, but there was deer and seafood. Now, I don't like venison. I like deer jerky, but like venison steaks, like like, you got to get me in a real weird mood to enjoy that. Venison, it's just too hit or miss. Like venison can either be fine or it can be so gamey that you're just like, I hate my life. Yeah, it's bad. And and let me tell you what, what really turned me on venison forever. This was two years ago, three years ago, three years ago. During football season, I am watching. I, I remember BYU was kicking off at about two, and I'm watching the morning set of games. And an Arby's commercial comes on, and they have a special for the opening weekend of the deer hunt that they had venison sandwiches. Now, I know that venison from Arby's is not going to be good, it's going to be downright bad. But the fact that fast food venison was a thing for just one weekend. I knew I had to do it. I had to. So I went between games and picked up a couple of venison sandwiches for my dad and for myself. And I took a bite of that venison sandwich. I could not chew twice. I chewed once. Not bad. Oh my gosh. It was the, I have been to Africa. I've eaten bugs. I've eaten crocodile. I've eaten weird crap. Uh, if you ever get real bored, look at Ravi Tutu from Madagascar. It's just leaves that they just crush up with oil. It's disgusting. I had one plate served to me that was a cube of fat from a pig, and I could see the nipple. Like that was what they served me was pig nipple. I would eat 1,000 nipples before I eat one venison sandwich ever again. It was so bad. And since then, I don't care where it comes from. I cannot do venison. So uh, Thanksgiving, I would not have been a fan. The first Thanksgiving with a bunch of dead deer and seafood. And, you know, like Plymouth, right? Like that area, yeah. they were little crappy whitetail deer. So you don't even get like the fat of a mule deer. You just get there, this little tiny. There were not deer. corn subsidies encouraging no. the massive growth of deer across the entire Midwest yet. Right. It wasn't even a thing. No. So these are crappy deer that probably taste a lot like the fish. Uh, We're going to get dark with fact number four, Squanto. Now, I remember learning about Squanto as a lad, and I learned that Squanto was a guide for the pilgrims as he came over. Well, the truth is, Squanto 
met Americans, not Americans, met Europeans, you know, 10 or 15 years before, he was kidnapped, taken from his village, taken to Spain, sold into slavery, somehow escaped slavery, found his way to England. Keep in mind, this is a guy who much less didn't you know, speak the language. He'd never been outside of his little area in Massachusetts. Found his way to England, made his way on another ship that went back to America only to find out that his entire village where he was kidnapped from had been completely annihilated by disease. So he was the lone remaining, and I should have written the name down because it's culturally insensitive of me to not have this name of his tribe, but they were all dead. And he was the lone survivor. And at that point it was like, well, I know all these white people, so here I am. And that was how he became the guide. That was very sad. I mean, yeah. And we call him Squanto. His name was Tisquantum. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, and I like the name Squanto, but Tisquantum feels way cooler. Yeah, Tisquantum. And my final fact isn't as much a fact as it is one of my facts. It's a Jeff fact. Black Friday was the greatest day of the year until the internet really just killed it. It's not even Black Friday anymore. Like no, it's it, now it's like, oh, it's, well, you have Black Friday, then Cyber Monday. Now it's like, oh, Black Friday deals early. And now it's uh, like, I'm starting Black Friday deals now. Yeah, it's, they've started. I mean, I have Walmart I, Plus because we do the grocery delivery and it's like, they started, it was like Walmart Plus members only. It's like Black Friday, all the deals are open. Oh they yeah. Opened online yesterday. I bought a Nintendo Classic for $150 off this morning with a Black Friday deal. So it's, not it's here. Black. Just call it's, it like it's a holiday Tuesday. sale. Don't... Yeah. Yep. Did you ever Black Friday shop like in the old days? Like, like actually really go Friday? out? Yeah, in the middle of the night. Like once is, no. And I was like, this is stupid. I don't I went, I, it was like an annual thing. I loved it. One year, the first year that I went, I was so jonesed about just like the commotion, right? From every store. I found my way to JCPenney. Rest in peace, JCPenney. Highly underrated store, but I understand why they're out of business. I mean, they're still there, but they suck. Uh, and JCPenney had this big, long line, and everybody, all the moms who were out Black Friday shopping were jonesed about going to JCPenney. So I found my way to JCPenney, and they handed me a bag as I walked in. This was, I don't know, 10 years ago. And everything I could fit into the bag regardless of where it came from in the store. Now, obviously they blocked off like jewelry and super expensive electronics, but anything I could grab that I could fit into this bag was 75% off. It didn't matter what it was, just had to get into the bag. The commotion of that JCPenney that day was insane. And they would have probably to distract us, but they would give away random things in the middle of this shopping commotion that somebody would come through with like this megaphone and announce whatever it was that they were giving out. I didn't understand a word that came out of this megaphone, but people would just swarm to this line to get whatever it was that was being handed out for free. So I would go and I would fight and I'd get my way into the line and it'd be like an elf ornament for your Christmas tree, like weird, crappy stuff. That was maybe one of the best moments of my life. And I know that makes it sound like my life is very, very sad, but it was that fun. I have a good life, but that's up there towards the top of best moments of my life. Like maybe, maybe ahead of my third child. 
<laughs> that's how great that was. It was so fun. The first two children, like those for sure. That was my first kid, first daughter, first son. By the time I got to the third one, it was kind of like been there, done that. I'd never been to JCPenney. So it felt a little bit cooler, that, J- that Black Friday JCPenney. So, and I, I feel bad for Dax, but you know, ultimately he knows his place. And he also threw a rock through your, the glass door yeah. at your house. Yeah. Like he, a has week earned, after you. he has earned his his place in my all-time rankings. <laughs> he is solidly fourth at yeah. best. Yep. You know, I can respect that. I also did not know until just now that J.C. Penney was founded in Kemmerer. Really? Did you know that? I did not. Yes, the first J.C. Penney store was none other than Kemmerer, Wyoming. Wow. Well, that's cool. Makes me appreciate J.C. Penny a little bit more. I makes me appreciate them a little bit less, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I also have one more thing. It's not about Thanksgiving, and I know that people have complained in the past that our intros are too long. They just want to get to the sports content, and there's a ton of sports content to talk about this week. But I don't care. I don't care about your complaints this week. It's Thanksgiving. I am logging off of my computer later this afternoon and not thinking about the real job for several days. And so I don't really care about complaints either right now. There was a man in Kansas who was getting divorced. Divorce is ugly. Like divorces can be very, very ugly. I actually, I had a friend who just got divorced. He'd been married for like multiple years, like five, six years, had a kid. It was done in like, seven days like the fastest divorce ever that i've heard of that was wild but some divorces are ugly well this man he wanted or they got we're getting divorced and he wanted to have a a i guess a a very cordial negotiation as they're dividing assets and custody and things like that and he felt that he was just obliterated by the legal system when it came when it came to the division of assets They kept that separate, for whatever reason, from the custody evaluations and talks. He no longer trusted the legal system, Garrett, because he got just destroyed in his mind in this asset division. So for custody, he hit the books. He learned the law. And he learned that if he petitioned the judge, it is not illegal to have a trial by combat in Kentucky. That seems like a very Kentuckian thing. Not Kentucky. He was from Kansas. I don't know why. Oh, Kansas. It was an Iowa court, but apparently it's legal across the United States. So the man said that he wanted the custody evaluation to be a sword combat with his ex-wife using Japanese swords. Now, he wasn't unreasonable about this. He also proposed to the judge that each each party would be allowed 12 weeks to find or build their sword, but he did limit it to the type of sword that they could use. They couldn't just use any samurai sword. It had to be a katana or a wakizashi. I don't know what that, I know a katana because I play video games. Don't know what a wakizashi is, but those were the only two types of swords that were allowed. Now, because... It has not been explicitly banned or restricted in the United States. The court did have to hear his request. Ultimately, it was shot down. And I think in the end, without knowing the the actual end of this story, 
I would imagine that the sword fight proposition probably went against him in the custody evaluation and the custody hearing, but good on him for getting creative. You know, dads who get divorced, sometimes they are for right, wrong, better or worse. They, they are disadvantaged in the divorce system. And this guy was just trying to even the conversation a little bit with a samurai sword. Where did you find this news? It's been a long week, man. It's only Tuesday, but <laughs> it's been a been a really long week. Look, Kalani, his contract still hasn't been been resolved, and it is starting to take a real, really strong mental toll on me. And I am, I'm finding stuff on the internet this week that I'm embarrassed about. Like, I am, I, I'm weird about the internet, and we all know that that I can find the weird stuff. But I am finding stuff that even I go, this is this is uncomfortable for me. Uh, that sounds very inappropriate in this no, family no, show. No, it's, it's, it's a family show. This isn't pornographic, but just like I'm getting into weird stuff this week because of Kalani's contract uncertainty. I am popping Xanax. I'm taking ant, antacids like they're going out of style. I really need BYU to step up to the plate and figure this Kalani crap out. Yeah, and, and it's really – we've harped on it multiple times, right? It's not – you know, a lot of it is – right, it's just show it's like we want him to stay, right? If you think coaches, they're not in a bubble. They know. They see things on social media, right? They see – they go on message boards for better or worse, they're, or their family does and tells them about it. And one of our listeners, subscribers, went to the Georgia State – or sorry, Georgia Southern game on saturday and their whole family had shirts that said extend kalani forever on it yeah, and, and that's we're changing it it's the hashtag pay kalani is done it's extend kalani forever like give the man whatever he wants and you know at this point i was thinking i was talking about this last time with somebody else you know i said like right kalani is the most single most valuable person employed by byu and he's probably the single most valuable person employed by the church at large because even if you look at like you know who is more valuable this is going to be very blasphemous jeff i know <laughs> I, I know where this is going <laughs> okay who is more valuable or more don't, replaceable don't Kalani <laughs> or russell m nelson oh dear <laughs> oh, <laughs> i mean dear. okay one of them has a backup plan one of them is That's not true. really in charge right like they're in charge, but they are doing what they are told by somebody higher than them. Right. They yeah. are following directions and seeking inspiration. And the other one is uh, doing a very secular thing. And that brings a lot of money and a lot of attention and very positive marketing to the university. Therefore, and it is much bigger than basketball. We are a football school. Always have been, always will be. Kalani is the single most important person employed by the church, and he needs to be extended forever. There, I said it. Uh, oof. I mean, yeah. He needs to have his contract and election made sure. Is, I mean, <laughs> he, he really is, though. Like, if, okay, ignore the sacrilege here, right? Mark Pope, there are other basketball coaches. Like, you could promote Chris Burgess and, and, Maybe he's a step down from Mark Pope, but there's a succession plan that could be there. 
right? You could go get the, what's his name, dude, that was at Portland State that was interested last time. Mark Madsen is at UVU. Like there's a, there's a bevy of coaches who are there and available, have head coach experience and are primed to potentially take over BYU basketball. Maybe they're not as, as, as prolific as Coach Pope has been, but they're capable. Kalani really doesn't have anybody. Like there's, I mean, if Kalani were to leave tomorrow, and this is, this is, I mean, you bring up the right point because this is why Kalani has to be, like BYU has to be panicked. They have to give Kalani whatever he needs, whatever he wants, whatever he asks for. If he wants gold-plated walls throughout the, the, the football offices, they probably need to do it. Like they've got to figure out, they've got to trust Kalani that I, I, I have another really sacrilegious analogy. Now that you've opened up that Pandora's box, I could go another direction, but I'm not going to. Um, but they have to trust that Kalani, his intentions, he's not just going to say, hey, I need Teslas for my coaching staff because it'd be cool. Like the things that he's going to request are things that he actually needs, that he feels he actually needs in order to win in the Big 12. And you have to trust that. And you have to trust that he's not just, you know, being, being crazy with his requests. And if you have that level of trust, then you have to give him what he's, what he's asking for. You have to, because if Kalani's not there, who do you go to? Ken Neo Matalolo? Like that made sense six years ago, but Navy has sucked. They've Even by Navy bad. standards, they've been bad, right? Like they have not been good. I don't think Ken Neo Matalolo is the guy you want taking BYU into the big 12 this year. So without Kenny Neo Matalolo, the only LDS coaches out there who have head coaching experience that are realistic options, right? Broncos not coming back. Wits not coming back. So get those off the table. It's Jay Hill at Weber state and Jay Hill's done great things at Weber state. He really has. And, and he deserves all the kudos in the world, but FCS and FBS football are two different worlds. It is a different sport different athletes, different requirements, different game plans, and a completely different level of coaching, right? Like think and, of Quin Quincy Lewis was a genius at Lone Peak that he could like outcoach anybody at the high school level. And then he came to BYU and he was like the third assistant on the bench and, and never really was able to move up from that. Because well, the whole, every, but everything elevates when you move and up. The, the booster, amount of booster involvement in schmoozing is very different. And it, it's everything is different the same way that you know, college and the NFL are different. It's not necessarily just that it's like, oh, you're going against better coaches who are better game planners and whatever. It's just, there are more things, like there are different things involved and it is just different. Like yeah. get them in a room, it's talking X's and O's. They all understand roughly the same thing, right? Like they can do it. Like they could go do X's and O's, anything, but day. it's all of the off the field things are completely different. The, the I, recruiting style, in a P five conference is very different than the FCS conference in, in yes. an FCS conference and how you approach recruiting, what you're trying to sell the amount of projects that you can take and what you, where you put your gambles, all of it is very different. Right. And so it's, if you go outside of that, and by the way, Barrett Peary, he was let go uh, from Portland state after last season, but he is now the associate head coach at Texas tech. Yeah. Um, I knew he was down at the, big so club. the, um, yeah, so when you look at it right behind Kalani, okay, other so it's like, hey, you got Paul Peterson is, uh, you know, you got Paul Peterson is the head coach at Dixie. Zach Erickson is the head coach at Snow. You're gonna what? You're gonna promote a junior college head coach to 
being a P5 head coach? No. Yeah, you can't, right? You absolutely like, cannot. So you in-house, you'd be looking at A-Rod or Fessy, depending on if A-Rod followed Kalani or what he did. Yep. You know, you're trying to say, you know, it or Fessy. And both of those, I think, could be fine, but there's a lot of inherent risk and there's a lot of resetting of like, we saw the learning curve that Kalani had to unfold of like figuring out being a head coach. Yeah. Right. And it, and for some coaches, the learning curve is really short. We saw, you know, Bronco turned it around in year two, but there is, but Bronco also had prior experience at BYU working within that. So there is not just the head coaching learning curve. There's a BYU as an institution working with a lot of blue tape learning curve. I think the number one candidate because of exactly what you just said would probably be Robert and I like that's realistically if Kalani left today, if he's not number one, he's top three at worst, Robert and I as your head coach. And nobody wants that, right? Like I don't even nobody, think Robert wants that. <laughs> I don't think he does, but like, Tell me I'm wrong. I would love for somebody to tell me I'm wrong and come up with three candidates who are more proven, more ha- have more experience across college football and have more experience of how to work at BYU than Robert and I, who are primed for a head coach position. I'll wait. I'll wait forever. Because even if I, uh, even if we allow you to say somebody like Jeff Grimes, and I know that yes, the women's cross country coach is not LDS. And so we've established this, this, the end of this narrative that it has to be an LDS coach. I, I get it. But as the head coach of BYU football, it's going to be a member of the church. It's going to be. It is the most high profile position in, in the like, visible position that, that the church employs. It's the most expensive position that the church employs. That's going to be a member of the church, whether it's a requirement or not. Uh, unless there is literally nobody on the planet who is a member of the a member of the church who can coach, it's going to be a member of the church. So yeah. I'll give you Jeff Grimes though, just for sake of argument. Jeff Grimes would be a great head coach. Candidate. Jeff Grimes is probably going to be the head coach at Baylor next year when Dave Aranda leaves and goes to LSU. It's true. So we'll give you Jeff Grimes as a candidate. I guess I'd hear Jay Hill. But like that jump from FCS is different. Like it's it not a slam dunk. And even then, no. Weber wasn't that great this year. They missed right. the playoffs, right? So right. it's you know sustained success and knowing how do you think is is very it's very very hard to predict. Like even with any head coaching hire, you are making your best guess, and you're like, well, this guy is like 50-50, but this guy's like 60-40 of being a good coach. So I guess we'll take the 60-40 guy. Exactly. Like there is no, like how many, and we talked about it right last week of how the nine coaches that have left the AAC for P5 jobs, all of them had losing records at their P5 stops, right? Because and it's they went from something where it was good and it, because it is so much more than just X's and O's, like it is recruiting. It is, can you sell the vision of your school? And, yeah. you know, and it's like, just like going back to, we talked about this last week too, of Justin Fuente, you know, he's out of Virginia tech. He never felt like he fit in. He was always a Texas guy. He's not a mid Atlantic guy. He doesn't know people up there. He doesn't, he has very little recruiting ties, his style recruit, like how can you sell? It's hard to sell a school when it's like, well, you just showed up here. You know, nothing about this place, right? Like it's right. not, you know, if he had gone and said to like, 
from TCU to gotten the head coach at Texas Tech instead of Cliff Kingsbury or something, or even Memphis is just up the road from Texas, he's, that's a very easy sell because culturally it's the same. You fit in, it's there. So it is as it's an LDS, you have that as an LDS head coach, right? Jay Hill would bring that. He can sell the, trust me, this is a great place to be because of the church, whatever, to the LDS kids, but it's just different. And you, there are a million moving pieces. So when they are all working and things are good, you got to do whatever you can to keep that intact. Yeah. Yep. I think people would be shocked to learn how little football. Now, when I say little football, the head coach at BYU and any head coach still has way more football experience, does way more football activity each week than, than any of us do. But I think people would be surprised relative to coordinators and position coaches, how little impact the head coach has in the week to week game plan and the actual football on the field. That's the coordinator's job. That's the position coach's job. The head coach is to make their job is to make decisions, assemble a really good staff and be the face of the program. It's like I'm watching Madam secretary. It's an old show, but I like it. Henry McCord is I think the best looking man in Hollywood. I don't know what his real name is. I only know Henry McCord. So whoever that actor is, God, he's a good looking man. I want to be that man when I grow up. Uh, but in Madam Secretary, you get, I mean, and it's Hollywood, right? But you get this, you, a really good representation of the president of the United States in the situation room with his security council or whatever his, you know, whatever they're working on with his appropriate cabinet, right? And in this show, the president asks a bunch of questions. He goes around and he gets the feedback from all of the experts who are in the room on any given topic. And then he says, yeah, this is the decision that we're making. He's not the expert who's doing all the research. He's not the expert who's proposing all of the plans. He's not the expert who is going to execute the plan. The president of the United States is smart enough to understand the plans when they're presented to him. And then he picks the plan and he moves forward. That's the head coach. His job is not to come up with the well, game well, plans. Don't, don't forget, though, anytime the defense is doing bad and then makes adjustments, it's always Kalani who does That's the true. adjustments. That's true. Right. We have learned that. Thank you to the internet. Yes. But when things are good, Kalani's involved. When things are not, then clearly he's not involved. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way that it is, right? Like, he puts the rubber stamp on the game plan, but he's not the one who's putting it together. He's not the one getting the teams ready to go. That's not what he's doing. So the next seven to 10 days are crucial for Kalani. Uh, we are like, we're about to wrap up the season, right? Saturday, the regular season is over. And then we move into bowl, bowl time that really there are the new year six is even kind of pointless. Like I want to get there. I, we all want to get there, but outside of the playoff bowls are pretty much meaningless. Just go get your, your bowl packages, have a good time, have a vacation. If you can get an extra win on your resume. Awesome. Super cool. Talk about it. If you lose, nobody's really going to care. That's where we're at. We're about to see coaches get fired. We're about to see coaches accept jobs. I think after this week, you'll see USC finally, unless it's Luke, Luke Fickle, who still potentially has the playoff, or Dave Aranda, who still potentially has the Big 12 championship. I think you'll see USC announce their head coach. I think you'll see Washington announce a head coach. You're going to start to see some of this growing list of coaching vacancies start to shrink. Decisions will start to be made. BYU, in my mind, has to react 
before really before Sunday, I would say the next if three we get to days. black Sunday when yeah. all of the coaches come on the block. Cause I don't know, you know, we've heard Kalani's name was tossed around initially at the Washington. I know that their people reached out, you know, there's some initial conversations, but it seems like they're honing in maybe on bringing Brian Harson back or going after Matt Campbell. Um, <clears throat> Kalani has not been tied closely at all to USC, even though his name was mentioned. But like you said, it's, you know, half the Pac-12 could be opening. Um, half yep. the Pac-12 could be opening here, and they will all be interested. They will at least be kicking tires, whether yep. it's a fit, whether Kalani says, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just where you're at. It's also the situation of where you're going. Like, he's not going to leave. Even if they back the truck up, he's probably not going to leave to a random job like Illinois or Indiana or something like that. Right. Like it's, he's going to be choosy about if he were to leave, he would be choosy. Um, but there will be a lot of things opening. And the more that, you know, once it opens, if the floodgates open, it becomes a bidding war, right. Which yep. is, I think why, and I don't know how much Georgia Southern was paying Clay Hilton but it's probably really smarter than just wrap him up right away and say, Hey, look, we're done. We know what we're doing. And same thing with Texas tech, right? They hired their coach. And I think they got a good one at Joey McGuire. I think I, yeah. a heck of a heck of a coach. It's a good fit. And so they said, Hey, we're not going to try to go the race and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. And I don't, I just don't like this, like the hiring mid season thing. It's, it's weird, but a lot of it is driven. Like you have to now, and this is the fallout of the early signing day and moving it up to December because you can't hire a coach and say, okay, you have two days or you, you, you have kids that are supposed to sign in December. And then they're going to say, well, I have no idea who's going to be coaching me. I'm not yeah. going to sign here. Well, uh, BYU was going after Keontae Scott out of snow college. He's, he's taken a, he's got a final five of who is it? It's like Oregon and Tennessee, a bunch of big schools. Um, he reads the news. Like he sees Twitter. He sees the headlines. He knows that there's people interested in Kalani. If BYU wants to wrap him up and he's planning on signing at the end of December, he's planning on taking an official visit. I, I think the first or second week of December to BYU. If there is not some sort of finality to where Kalani is going to be, the chances of getting Keontae Scott to sign are gone. And Keontae Scott is a difference maker on day one. He is a guy who probably takes the place of Caleb Hayes as, as a starting cornerback next year. And Caleb Hayes was pretty damn good. Yeah. Like that's how good this kid is, right? He knows he, he, he makes a huge difference next year. You've got to wrap this up. So really in my mind, the next four days, but I guess you could extend it out a week and you could say the next seven to 10 days are absolutely crucial for the future of Kalani. The one thing BYU cannot do and I, this people disagree with me, but the absolute worst thing that they could do is do nothing. Even if they keep him, if they make some calculated risk-based decision and they say, well, we don't think he's going to get another job. So we're not going to extend him. We're not going to give him more resources. We're going to call his bluff. He's not going to be able to leave because nobody else is going to hire him. That may well be true. And in a lot of business cases, Outside of college football, that might make sense. But in this particular case where there is no plan B, where Robert Anai is potentially your plan B, you cannot afford to ruffle those feathers knowing that it would just, he would leave next year. 
if you want to keep him long-term, why wouldn't you make him happy? And it's the same thing even too with any employee, like, you know, employer, employee relationship. You, why would you not want to make them happy? You keep them happy and then they perform well. Like if he is disgruntled, if he is upset, if he's going through the whole off season and he hates coming to work because he feels like he's not appreciated, right? Like everyone's been in a job where you are not appreciated and you checked out your performance dropped, right? Like yep. it's, if you want your coach and their staff to be giving good work, you make sure that they know that they are appreciated and that you have confidence in them and that you don't, they don't feel like they are being, you know, cheaped out because in, and that's uh, right. Anyone listening to this, you could probably sit and think of a boss who treated you like crap versus one that tra- treated you well. And you're like, man, I would run for, through the wall for the other guy versus the other one. And you're like, well, it was pretty ho-hum. I like, I came in, I did my bare minimum and I left. Yeah. Now Kalani's competitive, right? Like it, it is a little different when it is sports because it's not just a paper pushing job, but that is still human nature. Right. It and is. so it's, he needs to be, I mean, we've gone on this long enough. We know where we stand. Um, we have. And the last thing I'm going to say to anybody who disagrees, it says Kalani loves BYU. He does. None of this has anything to he's do. He's not working for free though. Right. Like not, if, well, but beyond, beyond his affinity for BYU, he loves his staff and his players more than he loves BYU. Right. That that's it. I love my cousins. I love my sisters, but I will, I I chewed my sister out because I felt she was taking advantage of my wife a couple of weeks ago. I love my sister. It's true love and it's unconditional and it is there forever, but I love my wife more and I love my kids more than that. Right. Like Kalani loves BYU. I think he would stay forever, but if he feels his staff, is not set up for their future success, or he feels that his players are not set up for success, he will find a place where he could take care of those two first. He will recruit. People will transfer. People will follow him. That's They're able to do that now. Coaches will go with him, and he will help set them up for success. And he will give up his third love of BYU in order to take care of love one and love two. Yep, and, it's, and he's not... Right. It's one of those things where it's like, where is the line? You say, well, he loves BYU, so he's willing to do it. Okay. That's fine. But he's not working for free. Okay. And so, whatever you personally think is like your bare minimum of like, what would you be willing to be paid because you are a fan first or whatever, his is going to be a different number. And that's fine because there is no like perfect formula of like, well, if you actually care about the institution, then this is a reasonable note. Like, there isn't one. Right. It's all subjective. Everything is subjective. Value is subjective. And so, he, you know, in that marginal feeling of appreciation is where the difference lies. And so we do have a game to recap. Are you looking at me weird? Cause I just sniffed a marker. No, I didn't see you sniff a marker. Oh. I was looking at the camera. <laughs> I was over here sniffing markers and forgot like, Oh, Garrett could see me. I should probably. Dude, I, that's maybe that's why you're having a long week. You've been tripping out. Maybe that's the only <laughs> thing that's making this week short Georgia <laughs> Southern. I don't want to talk about it. Like the game happened. Second half was better than the first. BYU won. The one thing I do want to talk about is I've seen people harp about like one about game plans and halftime adjustments. Like adjustments don't happen only at halftime. It's not no. 1930. Like the term halftime adjustment comes from like 1930 when you say, okay, you go stand up in the stands 
and then you take some notes and then come down and we'll talk at halftime about what you saw. But here's the, they have these things called headsets. Now they're talking to each other in real time. They are, your play caller is often the one up there in the booth. They are changing things every single drive, whether you can see it or not. Sometimes it takes a lot of time to hone in on it. Sometimes the halftime adjustment is the attitude of the players that are playing and it's not actually X's and O's, which is what happened on Saturday. They didn't do that much different. I mean, yes, Georgia Southern, they started throwing the ball more and their quarterback threw two picks. Okay. That wasn't great. But if you look at the other drives, even they went from getting seven yards a pop down to like two, they were not running. Even when they tried running the ball, well, they were not, or in the second half, they weren't running the ball well. And that's why they started to throw because they got into third and long where they needed to throw. And then, or they're on the Jacob Robinson's first drive. It was the quarterback started that drive. He was like three for three for 40 yards moving down the field. And then they threw a pick. It's like, it's not like the pass wasn't like, it's not like he was one of 10 and they kept throwing and they weren't like when it wasn't working. Okay. Is we forced a couple turnovers and you know, one of them was a bad throw. The other one was just an incredible play by Jacob Robinson and he got mossed. Right. And he got a shout out last night on Monday night countdown. And so a lot, I think what happened last week, the players are coming off of a buy. They're looking forward to USC. They're tired. There are a lot of, if you think there are a lot of BYU fans that said, why the hell are we playing at a, on the road at a Sunbelt school this late in November? And so we're there are a lot of and a lot of players probably felt the same way and a lot of players probably you know said oh well we're we can kind of roll through this because they are a horrible team and we can you know we got usc next week and they're looking ahead and then they came out flat for a half and then at halftime that's when they got ripped into and chewed out and we saw a little bit of leadership from the players and they came out and stepped it up and just started playing more aggressively. Like they it, just looked slow and out of it in the first half. It was as you, as you talk, I can hear people frothing at the mouth and say, well, if they're not ready to play. That's the coach's fault. Everybody just calm down. Like human nature is human nature. I wasn't excited about that game. I love BYU football. There are 12 games a year that we get to watch. I did not care at all about Georgia Southern. I didn't. And it's a long flight for these guys. It's never easy to travel two time zones. It's why West Virginia at BYU is going to become what I think is the greatest football rivalry in the big 12 conference, because it's going to be brutal. And neither one of those teams are going to want to make that, that trip every year. It's going to suck. It's tough. The coaches cannot just change the way that players think about things now if the coaches just didn't address it right if the coaches were just straight say hey everybody georgia southern sucks we're gonna be fine this week then that's a problem but i can promise you that's not what the coaches were doing the coaches know that hey guys we're in the top 15 they're gonna come out and give us their best shot they're gonna punch us in the mouth they can say and do and act and do everything right but if the players look at the schedule and see a three and eight or whatever they were Sunbelt team, and they have to sit in a plane for five hours to get there and then go play in front of a 20,000 person stadium. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit of a mental letdown. 
especially traveling that far and they're playing it sucks. two in the afternoon instead. Well, of, well, I mean, I guess it was for their time, but but it's like it's a weird time of day to kick off. Utah struggled two weeks ago against Arizona. Like we thought that Utah was going to maybe lose to Arizona there in the fourth quarter. Utah blew the pants off of Oregon last week. Now was Oregon overrated? Yes, I think that, but that's beside the point. It's it's very possible, guys, that that Utah was looking past Arizona because Arizona sucks, and was really jonesed about that Oregon game. The same way, it's very possible that BYU was looking past Georgia Southern because they play USFNC this week. Yeah, like let's get real, folks. And so everybody, please like take your anti rabies pills or whatever the hell you got to do to to get all that foam that's now all over your chests. Get that back into your mouth. Clean it up. It's not a big deal. It was a clunker, but they, they just, still won. We and, played and if they with, would have just if, if played Ed with Lamb, our food. That's if what Ed Lamb would not have called inexplicably for a time or for for a, a quarterback kneel with a minute and forty seconds left on the clock and third down, then they would have ended up running two more plays. But once you line up in victory formation and then call a timeout, you can't very well come back out and throw the ball or pass the ball or, or whatever. So that kind of forced their hand at that point. If that doesn't happen, they probably score on that drive. They cover the spread. Nobody thinks twice about this game. So everybody just calm down in push cover shove, right? They were out bef- heading into this game. They were averaging 360 yards a yeah. game of total offense. We held them to 260 some on change. Yeah. It's we played fine. Like if this like we played with our food for a half and then showed up and then played the way we should have played the whole game, the second half. And that, that is a mental thing. The game plan was fine. Right. We just weren't, I mean, we had guys pushing each other around while the guy ran right past them. It's not like guys were out of position the whole first half. They just were looking lackadaisical and they, thank you, by the way, lackadaisical. Well done. Thank you for not putting an X in that word, like 98% of America. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm so proud of you. You know, just what I think, I can't have a higher opinion of Garrett McClintock. He goes and he does something like this. Oh, I, I'm glad that that has overcome my feelings about pie for you. The fact that I can say lackadaisical as it is spelled. Um, but, you know, they just looked like they were going through the motions and they did. They played with their food for a half and then they turned it around and they held Georgia Southern under everything they have in the offense. You know, the offense had a couple drives stall out that shouldn't have. And, you know, they offense didn't play as good as it should have in that game. Probably should have ended up being, you know, like had we scored another touchdown in that game, probably and taking a field goal away from them. It probably should have been 41 to 14. That should have been the final score of that game. We came close to it. We gave up an extra score and let that and took one off the board for ourselves because we screwed around and really like, you know, it's just because we were checked out and you could tell it, the fans could feel it like everything, you know, there was scared and people were freaking out. Uh, like talking about the game. And I said, look, don't worry until the middle of the third quarter. This happens all the time when good teams play crappy teams that they think they will roll through. Like how many, you know, like, look at, we saw two weeks ago with Florida was like tied 42 all with Samford or whatever at halftime. You said good teams playing crappy teams. You know what I mean? Crappy team playing a crappy team. That's true. But it is a crappy team playing a much more crappy team. (laughs) And it's the absolute value difference, right? (laughs) There. 
And then they came out and they won the game like 70 to 50 or whatever. Like it was, you know, they come out and it's the second half blows open all the times in games like this because they're like, guys, focus. Hey, we got to get this done. You don't want to blow this. This is embarrassing. Let's go take care of business. And then it's fine. But if that game, if you had really just broken up the scoring, like if you had just switched like two drives from each half into the other, nobody would bat an eye. Nobody would think twice like if it was it. just instead of being one stressful half and one fine half, if it was just more even keeled the whole way through and like flip one interception to the first half, take one of their touchdowns, move it to the second half and move an extra score over to ours to the first half to where it's like instead of tied at 17 and the in the first yeah. half, yep. if it, it's like, oh, it's 21 to 10 at halftime and then we win 31 to 17. Nobody bats an eye. You don't even think no. twice about it. Nobody thinks about it. So everybody calm down. It's not that big of a deal at this point. Now, having said that, BYU cannot open up against USC that way. No. I don't know what USC's – I have no idea what to expect from USC. Like, on paper, they're clinging to hopes of getting to a bowl. They have finally figured something out offensively a little bit with with Jackson Dart. They're a mess defensively, so who knows? They should be motivated to win this game. They've got two – in their eyes, if you're USC, two winnable games left on the schedule in US or in, in, in BYU and Cal, you've got to think you can get to six at six and get to a bowl. My question that you don't know the answer to, I don't know the answer to, none of us listening know the answer to, is getting to a bowl in air quotes really something that is motivating for USC? It, I don't think so. I think they've checked out. No, I don't think they're not. You know, if you are a school like New Mexico State or UTEP that's gone to like three goals ever in the history of your program, yeah, that could mean something. But when you're USC and you expect to not only go to a bowl, but you expect to go to like a holiday or Alamo or or higher, and that's disappointing. Like, and it's uh, the minimum that you expect is a Rose Bowl every year, then. Yeah, that is not really motivating to go play in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Like, they don't care. No, they don't. And so I don't know how motivated they will be. But talent-wise, they're very talented. And Jackson Dart, oh, we've had him on this show before. We are massive Jackson Dart fans. If you haven't watched him at USC this year, look, he's a true freshman. Okay, like, first and foremost, he's a true freshman. But you can see the glimpses of Jackson and it's, it's everything we said about Jax when he transferred from Roy to Corner Canyon. All of that is still true. He has the ability to make NFL throws today. There are NFL quarterbacks who are envious of his arm strength. And I, I, that is not hyperbole at all. Jackson Dart is that special. He is so damn good. And he's trying to figure it out. He wants to win that job. He wants to play so well today or this week and against Cal and against against whoever they play in a bowl if they get there that he forces Keaton Slovis to transfer. Like that's what he wants to do, right? He wants to win this job. And so he's going to be motivated. I have no clue if the rest of his team is going to be motivated. But Jackson Dart's a good enough player. Now he's still young. He's still learning. You can still confuse a true freshman quarterback. But Jackson Dart is good enough to put this team on his back and and carry them to a win. 
He's and that good. He also knows that he is going to have a new coach next year, one way or the other, because USC has fired their staff. Maybe the co- maybe the new coach, whoever they do hire, maybe he will. They will retain Graham Harrell, but he knows that there's a very very high chance that the offensive staff he committed to will not be there. So there's probably running through his mind of this is kind of my audition tape. Like yes, yeah. everyone knows what I did in high school, but this is my you know this is my tape of you know, I can show, Hey, I can do this at the college level. And if I decide to go into the portal, then we will The anchor that I would feel if Dave Aranda goes to USC and he brings Jeff Grimes with him and Jeff Grimes ends up getting to coach Jackson dart. I will be, there will be the passion and the fire of a thousand sons in my heart that is directed with pure hatred for Jeff Grimes. He's a great guy. I love coach Grimes, but if he gets to coach Jackson dart, I will be so pissed guys. Jackson darts NFL. Good. He is first round. Good. He is first overall pick. Good. Jackson dart is so good. And by the time his college career is over, maybe it's a, maybe he goes to the transfer portal. Maybe they hire a guy like Jeff Grimes. And he says that, ah, Nope, not for me. I didn't want to go to BYU when Jeff Grimes was there. And that was when he was playing with Aaron Roderick, who he really likes. Maybe he says, I'm out, and he transfers. But who knows? Whoever gets to coach Jackson Dart is coaching a first-round quarterback who has a very, very bright future. And that's really where you make your money, right? You are only as good as an offensive staff. You are only as good as your quarterback is. Amen. And- Especially in college. Yes, especially especially in college, right? Like, look at Clemson was okay, and then they got a little better when they had Taj Boyd, and then they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and now they got DJ Ewan. It's not so good because he ain't played so good. What a fall from grace, man! He looked so good against Notre Dame last year. He and did. Then, I watched one of his throws. Now, granted, he's got a knee injury, so I guess that plays a role here. But I watched one of his throws against Wake last week, and I I have no idea. Like it was like a, a like a seven yard out, and he put the ball like so far behind his receiver, and it wasn't like a miscommunication. Like he was expecting, you know, a quick curl or a dig or something, and, and it, the receiver ran it out. Like no, it was he was throwing the out route. He threw it so far behind his receiver that it hit the corner who was in coverage. The nickel guy was in coverage. It hit his back foot as he was running and and he got beat on the route. Like he had been beat by like a step and a half that throw. Like it was, I don't know. It was seven yards off. It was bizarre. I can't believe it because he's got a rocket of an arm. He's so talented, but it is not there. I think it's mental for him. He's got the yips bad. Yeah. He's got to get out of uh, Clemson. I think like, I don't know. It's bad, but the USC Uh, future Utah quarterback, DJ Uyangalale. Oh, gosh, <laughs> no. Would they? What stupid hashtag would they come up for him? Oh yeah, because uh, he is thick. So thicker, thicker. I don't know. The USC obviously Jackson Dart is terrifying just because he can do it with his legs. It is hard. It is very, 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 very hard to cover a true dual threat quarterback, which is why everyone in this country wants one, right? And right. it's. And it is very hard to do if you have someone who can actually throw and run. The thing and- about Jax that scares me the most is 
he is a true freshman, right? So you can confuse a guy like that in coverage. And that's what BYU did against USC with Slovis two years ago. The difference between Slovis and Jax is if Jax gets confused by coverage, he'll just kind of scramble around enough until somebody beats a safety and he'll chuck it 60 yards downfield. He's got that Zach Wilson gunslinger mentality, right? That he's always looking to hit the big play where Slovis is looking to dink and dunk. Yeah. And it's, and that is scary because you get those big plays and that's what costs you games. And so I think we are going to see BYU fans will see their, a lot of their favorite, favorite, favorite defense that we love of playing a lot of coverage and just trying to get in front of receivers and not getting beat. Um, they do are missing Drake London, who was their best receiver. He broke his arm or leg. He broke a bone a couple of weeks ago um, and he will be done for the year. Um, and so it, you know, but they still have another million other guys who would all start for us if they walk through the door. Right. And so they, um, so their offense, it, I mean, they're just not a good team this year. If you look at, so their offense is, you know, we have a top 20 offense in like a middle of the road, 50 to 60 range defense. They're like a 50 to 60 offense and like a 100 defense. Like they are, their team is basically the inverse of BYU in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And in terms of how bad they are. Uh, they, they have more wins because they've been playing in the back 12. Yes. I mean, yeah, it, it's just, it's really sad. You know, it's like Utah is not playing better. They just, their schedule got easier, right? Once they got out of, you know, they played a couple P5 game, non-conference games, but once they got into the bulk of their G6 schedule, right, you know, whatever they, but they do have Keontae Ingram, uh, the transfer from Texas. He's good. He's, he's really good. good. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's averaging. Almost, like Tyler Algier numbers. Yep. Almost six yards a pop, uh, 900 yards rushing. Um, and they've played one less game. I mean, he's averaging 90 plus yards a game. Like he's, he's solid in an air raid offense. He's averaging 90 plus yards a game. So yeah, he is leading the way for them rushing. Um, they got, they still have Vivi Malapai who's like been there forever. Yeah. He's their Britain Covey (laughs) for reals. Um, and I mean, he's the backup and he's only, he's, but he's a bigger guy. He's more of the short yardage um, guy, but it's, you know, Slovis is, it's kind of, you know, Slovis is averaging 65 yards an attempt, darts out averaging 60, but it's, you know, darts throwing a handful of picks. He's got seven touchdowns and five picks. He's taken three sacks. So it's, you know, he's not, he's Dart still a freshman. Uh, I he just has, love watching him play. I love watching him play and he can be great. Right. But it's like he is still a freshman and is still prone to making mistakes. And a freshman who's a gunslinger. Like yeah. he's got that tie. Like, remember Ty? Like, Ty, when he won the Heisman and he threw like 20 some odd interceptions that year. Right. Like, that's the kind of mentality that Jax has is he's just going to throw it. Like, he doesn't care. He throws a pick. Like, okay, crap. Won't do that again. But he's not going to stop trying to, to push the ball downfield. Right. And so last week, he was 27 to 47 for 325 yards, a touchdown and two picks, and also took three sacks against USC or against UCLA. Um, and then rushing, he was six carries for negative 25 yards along a college count. They need to pull the sacks out of yeah, those and make so sack yardage stupid. separate. But he had a long rush of four yards. So he is coming off of his torn meniscus that he had repaired earlier in the season. He missed about six weeks. Um, and so he needs to. 
you know, he's got a, he may be a little hobbled and not as running as much as he would have liked um, yeah. to, but they against UCLA, like they were bad. I mean, they lost 62 to 33. Terrible. DTR so, was signing autographs, scoring touchdowns. Did you see that? Signing autographs to people in the stands. Like USC yeah. got beat and embarrassed by UCLA. Yep. They, let's see. Do, do, do. So they, Zach Charbonnet, rushed 28 carries, 167 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Ethan Fernia, oh, the other. DTR was 11 for 46 and two touchdowns. And then the backup running back had a 42 yard touchdown. Yeah. This well. is, so it's, this, this is, is the Tyler Algier game. For it's Dwayne. Tyler Algier DTR's game himself. The way he plays is very similar to Jaron Hall's. Yeah. Um, you know, they're pretty similar. It's like, he's a run, he's a pass first guy, but he can run and make you pay with his legs. And, you know, Hall is healthy, healthy USC. They did run the ball with some success, but they, you know, it's weird. I guess it's just the number of plays they have because UCLA scored so many times. So, so fast. They, so UCLA ran 66 plays and, uh, they did a, a point of, a point of play that doesn't yes, 66 plays and USC ran 86. Yeah. So they ran 20 more plays, but they ran the ball almost 40 times. Like they're going to try to, they're going to try to run the ball because they will, you know, Graham Harrell wants to protect, you know, Keontae Ingram is their best offensive player and he wants to protect the freshman quarterback, but they still do have, you know, Gary Bryant Jr. still had nine catches for 160 yards and a touchdown. Keontae Ingram had a 32 yard catch of his own, right? Like they can, they still have athletes that will beat you deep. And so we cannot give up cheap plays over the top. Um, I mean, so that's the BYU should win this game. They're favored, but if they don't play well, they will lose this game. I mean, that's that's pretty much the summary. And that isn't breaking any news or really getting into the nuts and bolts of things, but that's the truth. Uh, basketball, look, I know, folks, BYU had a big win against Oregon. They're nationally ranked. We are not digging into deep basketball content until after the regular season of football. So, so next week. Next week. Here's what we have on our agenda, and I wrote it. I mean, you guys probably could have guessed that knowing me, but basketball, it exists. Apparently I don't think it exists until December, but apparently it's happening. So go Cougars, go Cougars. <laughs> the, we can't say that they are ranked, right? We are, uh, we did move up, which pretty big because we were receiving votes last week. Uh, we were like the fifth team out and then moved up to 18 this week. So we jumped 12 spots. And the eight people, that's a big deal. Like even, yes, we beat the living tar out of Oregon, but they is like still moving 12 spots in a single week in any poll is a big deal. You know, who's going to move 12 spots in the playoff poll tonight is Utah. They might. I, I'm afraid they jump BYU. You think they'll move that far? I, I think the committee by overinflating Oregon's value has dug themselves into such a hole right now. Like they did not punish Oregon enough for losing to Stanford. Yeah. And because of that, they now have this crap. What do we do? Because we can't, they can't, right? They can't after that bludgeoning that Oregon just took at the hands of Utah, they can't keep Oregon ahead of Utah. 
I mean, Gary Bart is a psychopath. He'll, he'll do whatever he wants, but they, they can't. But I don't know how you drop Oregon below 14. And I don't know how BYU climbs up enough because realistically, uh, Michigan State got plastered and Oregon got plastered, right? I mean, so that's at least two schools who should move below BYU. Wake Forest lost. They, they probably will move below BYU. And so the committee, I think, is in a tricky spot for themselves. They have to decide, are, are they really going to go into this final weekend of the season when they know that there's going to be a couple of top 10 teams who will be tested and a couple who are going to lose, you know, like Michigan or Ohio state, somebody has to lose. Are they really going to put BYU at like 11 right now? That's probably where they should go. I don't think the committee does that fair, unfair, whatever. I don't think the committee does that tonight because if they put BYU at 11 this week and then they go into this and, and, and let's say Ohio state beats Michigan the same way they beat Michigan state and old miss gets upset by, by Mississippi state, you know, on the road, it's the egg bowl. It's a pick them. If Mississippi state wins that game, uh, they're now looking at a scenario where they kind of have to put BYU in the top 10. What if Penn state beats Michigan state, Michigan state is reeling after getting killed and Penn state's still very good. Now you've got a three loss Michigan state. Like the path is there for BYU to get into the top 10, but I don't think that the committee is going to allow that to happen. Am I a conspiracist? Yeah. I mean, hello, why not? But I, I think that what the committee will do to kind of prevent this scenario from playing out where Oklahoma and Oklahoma state are also playing two teams, both ranked ahead of BYU, right? Somebody has to lose. There's enough there that if they move BYU up at all, they're in the top 10. And now you're looking at BYU snatching up a bowl that they don't want to send BYU to. So they can say, okay, well, Oregon is still good. They just ran into a buzzsaw of Utah who got better. They have a new quarterback. Now they dealt with some tragedy, blah, 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 blah. And I could see them saying, okay, we're going to put Utah at 13 and BYU at 14. You guys are going to stay. They struggled against Georgia Southern, blah, 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 blah. That's my prediction is that you got Utah at 13 and BYU stays home at 14 and Oregon drops down to 12. Ooh, I could see that. I would hate that happening. Um, I did I just, both- I mean, think about it though, right? Like, cause you look at this schedule this week, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. One of them is going to lose and presumably could drop below BYU. Number 13, Oklahoma, going into tonight, rankings are going to change. But number 13, Oklahoma, at number nine, Oklahoma State. You've got number 12, Old Miss, at number 25, Mississippi State. You've got number four, Ohio State, at number six, Michigan. And then you've got Penn State, who's unranked but very good, at number three, Michigan State. And then you've got Oregon State at, or excuse me, number seven, Michigan State, and then Oregon State at number three, Oregon. All of those teams where Michigan State, if they don't, they can't drop Michigan State and Oregon below BYU. Because if they do, then BYU is sitting at worst at 12 with three games where somebody ahead of them is guaranteed to lose. They won't do it. They will not do it. BYU will stay at 14. 
and they will you will get some sort of whatever from Gary Barta about how Utah is a better team today than they were when you BYU played them, and therefore we're sticking them ahead. I mean, if they can keep Michigan ahead of Michigan State, because yeah, well, you have to look past the results on the field. Yeah, exactly. I I have zero doubt in my mind that's what we're going to see today. Yeah, because they can't, they can't, they cannot let BYU get into the top ten. Yeah. Then speaking of bowl games, um, we posted uh, about this in the VIP section of our Discord yesterday. Um, had a large discussion. Wait. Let's leave this as a tease. There is some spicy bowl, not Shreveport news. I did post it publicly. Well, I posted possible scenarios and something more definitive. So either way, sign up for the newsletter, get onto discord. And there is some, some spicy news about BYU's bowl setup. Let's just say that if you purchased tickets to Shreveport, I hope it was through Southwest or some other refundable airline because Shreveport sucks and there might not be a football game you care about going to happen. But you could get a great bowl of gumbo to celebrate your Christmas week. This is Shreveport. Um, Not getting that in Arizona. uh, Well, there's other things, though, in Arizona. So So I would keep bowl plans open, keep things flexible, uh i think yeah there you know we may see some things and that's something else that we should find that out this weekend right because there are we will know exactly how many uh we'll know exactly how many conference p5 conferences can't fill their bull bids and we'll alternates and things and then usc starts trading stuff and push come to shove maybe we go to a better bowl and wyoming gets left at home again even though they're bowl eligible because usc said or espn said byu is more valuable at the potato bowl than the actual mountain west so they paid off the mountain west to let them leave um so you know it's it, it is uh fluid as they say uh but jeff it has been a good episode uh i'm I'm confident you know I'm going to go out and say that I am confident that we do hear some news on the Kalani front in the next few days. Uh maybe maybe next week, maybe you know just because of the holiday and things whatever, but uh you know it's I hope things are moving in the right direction on that front and we should all sleep a little better at night once Kalani is in fact extended forever. And I hope forever is the minimum. Yes. Hey, we need is forever and ever his contract and extension need to be made sure. Um, so amen. amen. Jeff, until the game, we will, uh, let's see, I will be driving back from LA on Sunday. So I don't know if we're going to do a post game show, but sometime we will, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But until then, Jeff, give him hell. Give him hell.